Hi, my name is Jim Lewis. And my name is Chris Painter. Welcome to Inside Cyber Diplomacy. Between the two of us, I think we know almost everyone involved in cyber diplomacy. And the idea behind this is really to have frank conversations with those leaders in this area and bring that to the rest of the world, this new area of diplomacy, and talk to these leaders about what's going on. Our plan is that you'll hear things on this podcast that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Frank, not scripted, direct conversations. Hope you like it. I know we will. So please listen in. Welcome to another episode of Inside Cyber Diplomacy. Our guest today is Mokhtar Yadali, perhaps Africa's leading cybersecurity expert. With that, Mokhtar, welcome. Thank you very much. I think that's a very good way to introduce me. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> well, Fred, where are you? I am currently still in Addis Ababa until June, July waiting for the kids to finish uh, school year. And then I am still planning to see moving back to the U.S. or moving to uh, get based in Mauritania still, think. Well, I, I have some self-interest in asking this, Mokhtar, but what will you be doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will be supporting the uh, GFCE and uh, anything else that will come in the plate, I will be doing it. Uh, some institutions are asking me to on matters related to uh, startups and entrepreneurships in in Africa. Some uh, would love to see me doing something on measuring digital economy. All of that is just still talk, but I still just write a few papers on business intelligence for to have some food on the table. That serves serves a good introduction to your to your long background. I'm certainly the Global Forum on Cyber Expertise is happy to have you, and I'm happy to have you with us uh, now. For many years, you have been really on the forefront, as Jim said, of cybersecurity efforts, diplomatic efforts, and, and capacity-building efforts in Africa, which is why you're such a great fit as a sort of African liaison for the GFC. Let's, let's go back. When did this all start for you? When did you get into this issue? You've been a part of this for as long as I can remember. Indeed, indeed. In fact, the story is very simple. I can't tell you something... It's not really was my background, really. I was a satellite guy. And I joined accidentally the African Union Commission in 2007, late 2007, beginning of 2008. The idea was for me to work for the first time for an international organization, just to brush a little bit my CV, right? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I get into the matters of, I've seen how the African leadership does not really understand the issue of ICTs and how it can impact their lives, their societies, and how they will be, how they could use it to really change the way they are approaching their development. And one of the major reasons was is because they just disengaged themselves from the ICT sector after the privatizations on late 1990s. And uh, the whole sector has been in, in the hands of uh, private uh, operators mostly in the continent. And hence, you see the government doesn't appreciate or for most of the institutions, once they do have the internet connectivity and the voice running, they think they have all done, everything is done. But then in 2010, really, during a conversation with some of the stakeholders, specifically from the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa, we have seen that 
the trend, and I, I believe that was a visionary really kind of discussion, because we said that the trend for Africa will be to use ICT. But in order to do that, they have to do it safely. And the only way we can do that, at that point of time, there was nothing at all related to personal data protection, to cybersecurity, to cybercrime. The Budapest Convention was just getting in, right? So we started drafting the Malabo Convention on personal data protection, cybercrime, cybersecurity, and so on. Took us four years really to discuss that, to have a document uh, okay. being approved. And yet it has not been really entered into force simply because we still lack for three or four ratifications. But then when you start dealing with the issue of cybersecurity, the issue of internet governance comes in. 2011, I created the African Internet Governance Forum as the specific African entity to deal with the specific issues related to internet for Africans. Because also, mind you, that few people understood in Africa what is really internet governance. If you look at the topology of the people who are now participating into the big events, look at it, you see the same faces all the time. Same people, same guys, and they have been there for some of them for 20 years, participating on the IG meetings, participating on the OEG meetings, participating on ICANN meeting. All those people are just the same. There isn't diversification. We need to have more people participating. We need more stakeholders. The government's institution were very skeptical about internet, skeptical about internet governance, skeptical about the civil society participating, skeptical about non-governmental institution participating. And I had to go through all that education process and created the African Internet Governance Forum. At the beginning, people didn't want me to go there, but little by little, I have seen even uh, some head of state wanted even to be at the opening of the yeah. African Internet Governance Forum. Last time we, ha- we were in Chad, the Internet Governance Forum was opened by the deputy chairperson. And he's the one also who participated on the uh, GFCE meeting. The deputy and chairperson of the African Union. Of the African Union. Yeah. And the president of Chad wanted really to participate, the one who passed actually last week, yeah. wanted really to participate on the uh, opening of uh, the Internet Governance So. A little by little, I start just trying to bring people into this scale, this, uh, how can I say, this uh, uh, landscape. The head of state adopted what we call the African Union Declaration on Internet Governance and uh, Development of Digital Economy. And for the first time, the ministers were willing to sit down and talk about internet shutdowns. But yet, they still don't understand at the highest level the geopolitics of the matter the blocks, how they are constituted now within the cyberspace. And this is yet something we have to work on in the field of cyber, cyber diplomacy, cyber security. And yet, uh, it's, it's still a story to be, you know, uh, written kind of. Over to you. I, I wouldn't want to monopolize the speech, you know. <laughs> there are a couple things that came up, of course, in your remarks. The first is, why was there skepticism? You can talk about that. The second might be, there are blocks. How how would you recommend African nations navigate around these blocks? I mean, are there blocks within the continent itself, within the AU? I think the skepticism comes from two sources from me. One is the knowledge gap. People simply don't understand 
what is all about. It is not something they have learned in school. It's not part of the curricula for the political leaders to be discussing anything related to digital. It's not part of, uh, it's never been something that they were facing. They know the telecom. And when you see at the fundamental treaties and documents, they have signed and ratified all the time about transport and communication. It's never been about really ICT per se, digital concept and so on. And if any of them, to me, since most of the leaders now are Africans are above 60, uh, even 70, most mm. of them, if they have used the computer, is just for typing thesis or something, right? So that is coming from that. It's just, to me, it's a knowledge gap. Because sometimes when I say something that is strike, let's see, your uh, power plant can be attacked, for instance. I see people ticking, but they don't know how to respond to me. That is the new skepticism comes from that, ignorance and knowledge. The second part is really the fact that they have been not exposed to really solve matters related to the ICT since, as I said, it has been given to the foreign operator. Under the World Bank recommendation in late 90s to address the issue of the macroeconomic balances in those countries, and to correct their mistakes on the past they have done in the 80s, they recommend to everybody to privatize the sector. Well, privatization was understood wrongly. Privatization is good, but giving it to the foreign operator, that is something that probably most of the made Africans not able to get involved in this matter. The third skepticism is when in 2005, as following the wishes, people start talking about the multi-stakeholder, meaning the government needs to sit next to the guys from the civil society, the guy from the academia, the guy from the technical committee. <clears throat> the government did not use to that. If the, that democratic culture of sitting with those multi-stakeholders also is not there. So which make the people for most of the time being just very skeptical, prudent, while they see that the evolutions is happening, that the digital is invading their lives, specifically after the two years of the COVID-19, I believe the people will be thinking differently after. Somehow, something big needs to happen from the inside, not from the outside. Because at this point of time, digitalization on matters related to cybersecurity and so on is to go, is being driven by international institutions like the European Union, United States, uh, the World Bank, etc. Now, the question about the blocks. What is currently happening now is we are getting into some kind of the Cold War 2.0 to me. I mean, we are getting into the old settings of uh, diplomatic blocks whereby you have the China, uh, Russia in one block, you see the United States and allies in the other block, and even you see the, the, the European Union struggling to find their way. Shall I there go the left or right? And in the middle, you saw Africans are just, how, how can I say? They don't know how to dance. And they, they really don't because equipment providers are Chinese. 70% of the market shares in Africa is from China, right? Second is the Chinese are actually very aggressive in terms of uh, providing supports to the African countries. From infrastructure point of view, for instance, the achievement of China 
in 10 years is two times what the European did and the colonizer did for 50 years. So you see that one. My recommendation will be, I don't know, I don't see them aligned. If I had to recommend to them is to recommend what I would say, the digital non-alignment. Working within the, AU, the UN systems uh, have something that would be agreed continentally and not select one block against any other ones. Because if you start pleading for the values of the Western world, for instance, in terms of freedom, liberty, safety, and so on, you are right. But if you also you look at what the Chinese are providing from day-to-day way of developing themselves, they also are right. So you don't want to be confrontational with China. You don't want to be confrontational with the Western way of doing things. So all you have to do is to create again a 77 group, if I may say, non-alignment, you know, kind of digital non-alignment group. But that is me just thinking loudly with you guys. But Well, there's some decisions, though, that come with that, right? I mean, if you sometimes strings come attached with, with equipment, right? But it's not just the equipment that's been given for the I mean, there, there are some there are some expectations that when China gives equipment that they have, and and there are debates about what kind of society you're going to have, whether or not you're going, even on internet governance, whether this is going to be more of a free flow or more controlled, you know, China sort of system. So mm-hmm. it's hard to be completely sort of neutral on those. How 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 do you think Africa is trying to steer through that? I can tell you something. It's kind of difficult for the Africans again. Somebody one time said to me, you are not safe anymore. Uh, wherever you are uh, using equipment coming from the Western side or the Chinese side, you, your life is exposed anyway, so get over it. Somebody cited it in a long time ago and uh, one of the African leaders one time just threw that on me and say, anyway, everybody is spying on us. Right? That is the, the anyway, you see? So... Now I have to just to select what is the best for me. Now, the Chinese model is very attractive, by the way, in the sense that you have to look setups within the African continent and African countries. People are not thinking of a state nation. They are thinking in terms of ethnic states, tribal states. And uh, governing a country in Africa is not an easy task because you have an heterogeneous and uh, conflicting forces that will make you make choices that are not really rational or are not the best. It's just because they are solving the problem of the moment, if I may say. Mm-hmm. So the Chinese model in terms of controlling everything, in terms of, how can I say, perceiving freedoms and democracy, less than a security matters, right? Sustaining the power is something that probably even people don't say that loudly, but deep inside, they believe that it is something that is better than just an open society, communication, freedom, where you know the antagonism, all of those antagonism will come out. Give you one example. I created, uh, I just discussing about you know, the internet freedom, the internet shutdowns, why we need to shut down internet, etc. And somebody just mentioned the case of Ethiopia. It's, they are shutting down, uh, stopping businesses to happen and so on. And somebody from the uh, Ethiopian authority just stood up and told him, you know, I would not allow 
somebody sitting in a Starbucks cafe in Washington, D.C., making a revolution in my country and having people killed simply because I want to please somebody that I am a free, I am a pro-freedom, I am pro-democratic thing. No, I will not do that. My priority is the safety and the stability of this country. And with the social medias, you know, you can change everything. You can make people rise, riots, you know, do everything. And I will not allow that to happen simply because a, a guy is sitting there. Indeed, the illustration was actually kind of, you know, very striking. Somebody sitting in Starbucks cafe inciting people to go for something, using the social media, reaching all out to these people and making anything happen, creating a chaos in a country. Why would you accept that? And this is one of the speeches that most of the Chinese blocs, friends, Russians, so on, are putting forward. And it is attractive. In a state ethnic setup, this is very attractive. One of the traditional arguments has been that, yes, countries like stability, and that, that argument of China and Russia has some force, especially where countries are not used to having a lot of stability or worried about that. But one counter-argument has been, well, you know, you can, you can, you can promote the idea of a more free system because it has economic value. Does that work or is that not really being pushed strong enough? I would never discourage that to go. That is something has to be permanently there, but it will not happen tomorrow. The shift will not happen tomorrow. New generation will have to come. You see, building a society, a nation, is not something that can be just overnight. It's a process. It's an evolution process. People need to get out from the tribe, ethnic mindset in thinking, this is my nation. We are all here. This is for us. And that is not happening, right? It will not happen. While continue to pleading for a free, open, democratic societies, one should keep in mind that Time to time, a technical solution could be provided to mitigate that, how can I say, disaccelerations uh, for not going to more open societies. For instance, my suggestion to most of the uh, member states I've been working with is if you are afraid of something that may come from outside and create um, insecurity within the country, you don't have to shut the entire internet. Look at the corner where the problem is coming from and look at that one, That look at that door. You don't have to look at the entire house, but just close that door specifically. And little by little, you have to balance between the economic value of the internet, right? The openness of the internet, while also giving people a margin in terms of controlling time to time what is actually being a threat to the power, to the stability, to the government, to the country itself. In talking to a lot of countries, that's a compelling argument in some ways that, you know, when I talk to Sri Lankans or Indians or, you know, others, the, the ability to block this external interference is important to them for political stability, for the security of their citizens. But the part where it comes Indeed. up, and you've mentioned this, is is there a link to development? And we heard this consistently at the UN that people are really interested in is the development opportunities, the implications of ICTs for development. So what, what would you say to that? Is There's the argue, traditional argument, openness springs, economic growth. You could ask questions about that. 
but this issue of development is development and ICTs is 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 really central. That came up over and over again in the OEWG. So, where do you see development yes. having a role? That this is one of the things that I've been pleading for for the last ten years within the uh, uh, African Union ecosystem, the African systems. Without being very, um, how can I say, pretentious or um, there is a few people like me who were really putting this issue of development using ICT for the mm. development of the countries, meeting the different development agenda, be it the UN agenda or the African Union agenda and so on. And simply comes back again to the initial intervention, the knowledge gap. People haven't seen the value really, the leadership. I mean, you have seen, I can see Ghana, I can see a little bit in Senegal, I see a lot in Rwanda. I can see uh, South Africa moving forward uh, simply because South Africa has a very different way of developing. It was already kind of a developed country. Others who still don't have the leverage on really controlling the ICT, not in terms of really cybersecurity, controlling the development of the ICTs within the country and link their development with the development objective, that is still not there within the African current current African leadership. They simply don't get it. They simply haven't reached that much maturity in terms of grasping what ICT can bring to them. You know, that's that's interesting because you know I think we often think ICT is the thing that people will get, you know, the digital, you know, the digital transformation that the countries around the world, including developing countries, will care about. And the harder one is to get them to care about cybersecurity. But that comes with the with the, the digital transformation or the purported digital transformation. So, so I'm just wondering how you know how do you get that political attention? You, you remember Mokhtar that we did when I was at the State Department. We we did a lot of regional capacity building in the East African community, uh, mm-hmm. ECOWAS, uh, SADC, and others with you working with you in the African Union. But one of the things I noticed is as good as those were. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to get your view on the regional communities too. Getting that political attention was often hard. Indeed, and and you are you are so right that I can tell you several examples when I had a chance to speak to a, a head of state or a ministers, even the ministers of sector, and I can't or an ambassador, and I find myself the guy is sleeping on my lap. <laughs> Sometimes I doubt myself. I start doubt myself. Do I have the right speech? Am I using the right approach? I am, am I using in order to plead for this kind of thing? Now, the COVID-19 certainly will make change. But I can tell you something that people who did not believe in a lot of things have seen them now happening during the mm. COVID-19 crisis. People wouldn't imagine having a summit of the head of state, for instance, using ICTs online. People wouldn't imagine voting, for instance, electing their membership or their uh, leadership online. People wouldn't imagine sitting home and working from home. I'll give you an example. In 2015, I wanted to uh, work from Washington. And I made a request to work from the office of the AU in Washington. And there was, was scandals. I mean, they say, people say, are you crazy? This is not, this impossible. I had to buy equipment and show them that I will be able to do that and give and tell them, if you give me two months if it's not work I'll come back That's now funny. people are <clears throat> reluctant to go back people are reluctant to go back to the office as we speak the African Union for instance 
have been locked down since March 2020. Nobody mm. is coming to the office. And yet everything is functioning. Somebody has to use the opportunity to explain the ICTs, ICT and health, ICT and education, ICT and agriculture, ICTs and good governance, ICT in a very reliable voting system, ICT and IDs. Those sectorial kind of, you know, just developments using ICT arts should be now the heart of the advocacy and awareness among that leadership. Second, with regard now to the regional economic communities, they are all also, now just look at the, the big picture of the African institutional landscape is very complicated. In one hand, you have the aspiration of the people and the leadership for unity, for integration. But in the same time, the treaty they have signed did not give much of that to move forward and to be speedily. An example, compare the Constitutive Act of the African Union with the Lisbon you know, Treaty. You see in Lisbon Treaty, there is a specific provisions for the bindings rules, for the distributions among the different institutions, what kind of policy regulations or laws should have applied. In the African context, you don't have that. Though they are very politically, they are willing to include the regional economic communities and the specialist institution, but you look at the treaty, they are not mentioned at all. You see, the paradox is you want somebody to be your building block, and yet he is not into your fundamental documents, right? All that makes things very kind of complicated, very complicated. But the good thing that the aspirations of the RECs on developing their region, there is a dynamic there that any everybody can use. And by the way, coming back to the issue of advocacy, the fact that before leaving the AU, I made adopted the digital transformation strategy 2020-30, which become now, how can I say, the fundamental policy document for the development of ICT could be the one that can be used as a platform to launch a lot of programs and in which the cybersecurity is one of the cross-cutting you know, kind of sector. Right. The European Union is willing to go into digitalization. The first thing they are talking about now is two for in the partnership of Africa is digitalization and a green economy. And they are willing to put a lot of money on that. Yeah. I am currently doing the digital transformation strategy assessment in Ethiopia, and I hope I will be coming with a specific recommendation for them. And if I emulate that in every other countries, we'll be able to create the dynamic. So I haven't left the country, the continent really. I still uh, uh, passionate about it and do something about it for for the continent at all. Talking about Africa is a little artificial. It's like talking about Europe, you know, in that you have francophone and anglophone, and you have rich and less wealthy, and you know. So the the concept of Africa is a little synthetic. But if you were a negotiator, having to go starting, let's say, at the African Union and negotiates on cybersecurity, what advice would you give? First of all, I wouldn't negotiate directly with the African Union. I would negotiate with the regional economic communities. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you want to carry a table, most of the time you better carry the table, you, you grabbing the legs rather than getting the top of the table. When you get to the top of the table, you don't know what's going to happen. It's maybe, you know, maybe everything fall. But when you get, you know, the legs of the table and carry it, maybe you will be secure. And this is where the uh, uh, regional economic communities being the uh, 
building blocks, right? Mm-hmm. And they are pretty stable in their constitutions reform. The African Union Commission per se is now going through a transition complex period. The transition comes from that they wanted to have lighter secretariat, reducing the secretariat only to the policy and creating a stronger agency called the African Union Development Agency, AUDA, which was previously called NEPAD. That mm. one would be the one implementing project. And by the way, they are the one actually which I plan to work with really to start doing the assessment for the cybersecurity. So if I had to go, the speech related to cybersecurity should not come from you, me, and anyone. It has to come from people at the highest level to start with. For instance, if I were Joe Biden, for instance, I will meet with the uh, African leadership and insist on the issue of cybersecurity without putting it in the context of the China-US cyber war. Mm-hmm. And just say, economy is being digital. We are all being globally digitalized. In order for us to build a new economy, global economy, everybody needs to be safe. And we don't want you to be the one bringing problems. You see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? The speech It has to come from that one. Joe Biden or Vladimir Putin, whatever it is, will be the one talking to the leadership of Africa by insisting on the matter of cybersecurity. While middle kind of uh, lead, the leaders of the different institutions will be directly working with the Rex, only again at the technical level, because we have the tendency to work with technical people on this matter. Wrong. We need to go and talk to the head of the institution, the non-political, the non-technical people. The policymaker, the, 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 the top of the institution that are taking the decision, the orientation, those are the people we need to talk to, not the ambassador even. And we have seen how many Africans, for instance, are participating in the working groups. They have to get orders and instruction from the capital and the capital, the Minister of Foreign Affairs has to get instruction from the president's office and the president's office should be the one actually, actually pushing for that. And in order to do that, only somebody is equal will be able to talk to him about it and mention it. And then again, the the media, the information, where they are getting information from, CNN, uh, Radio France International, for instance, those are the platforms that most of the people are listening to. And those are have to, they have to do something on cybersecurity. Although I, I will say that one thing I noticed at the OEWG was you had some very strong African delegations. Uh, yeah. Off the top of my head, uh, I can remember uh, Ghana uh, and South Africa, but there were others as well. So there is this cadre of experience. You will see Egypt. Yes. You will see people from Ghana. You will see people from Egypt. Very strong people. You will see people from South Africa. Very strong people. But that's what I call in French the exception that confirms the rules. Exception qui confirme la règle, comme on dit en français. (laughs) Well, getting that high-level attention is always the most difficult thing, but you think it has to be top-down in yes. Africa. Interesting. And, and it's interesting that your, your digital strategy, and, and I think this, this actually is different than what we've seen even in Europe and the U.S., is expressly incorporate cybersecurity, so that certainly provides a hook for that high-level engagement. Fortunately, there is a lot of technical people in Africa at the 
you know, the continent mm. has, you know, 65% of young people, you know, between age mm-hmm. of 15 to 35. And those people are idle doing nothing and the computer become the social media become, you know, the source of, how can I say, occupation. Be it, you know, uh, social occupation or professional occupation. And, you know, the, the, the fact that also, you know, those software platforms are being, you know, developed and used everywhere by the big tech companies. You see a group of young IT people in Madagascar contributing to the building of a big software that is being used globally. So that is, there is a lot of skilled people. Mm -hmm. People who did learn at school and learn, you know, just like that. That is something that is not like in Africa. All we need, once the leadership says, we need to have the ICT as one of the backbone or the backbone of our the development of our economy, the things will just come in. Capacities are there. Well, I want to turn to the capacity building in a second, but I want to ask one last question about your, your time at the AU, which is, you know, toward the end, among other things, you talked about this digital strategy, but there also is this creation of this kind of cyber council that was created. Can you talk a little bit about that? I created that one. And I just for you to know the story, the vice president for Africa for ISOC is an Ethiopian, and he does he, he has his friends, his kids uh, at French school, and we meet every morning when we drop kids at school. <laughs> Sometimes when the traffic is very heavy, we say, let's wait for the traffic to, uh, to be a little bit lighter, then we have a coffee. And during one of the discussion, we said that we need to create a group on the African Union Cybersecurity Group. And I say, you name it, we discuss the term of references. I remember when I was discussing with him the term of references, he was in Ethiopia and I was in Canada attending one of the ING meetings in Ottawa. So we created the term of references and I took that document with me and I pushed it through the, what we call the African Union Mullinex and the group has been created, selected the people and they are now working. Now, the problem with the group now is they need an animator. The fact that I left, and I'm sorry again, it's always kind of looks like it's very personal. In fact, sometimes it's very personal. Uh, I was animating their discussion every, on a monthly meetings, take out their advices and through them through the uh, pipelines within the African Union setups. Now they don't have, but they have developed a culture and they are there and they are moving and I decided to join them after I left the AU and coming with my hat as a JFCE, they allow me now to participate in their meetings. And I participated in their first meeting uh, last week and the plan is to do some sort of presentation to them on the JFCE and have them involved in the capacity building. Those guys are very good advocate and very good uh, agent to be used in their region, in their countries, and use their expertise also. They are being selected based on their skills and their competencies and their qualities. Mm-hmm. There are lawyers, there are technical people, there are uh, policymakers, all of them together. And I believe if we use that platform very well, we'll be able at least to have an African paper or an African guidelines developed by Africans for Africans and be able to push it uh, within the system. Uh, hoping that, you know, the transition within the EU Commission would not take long because they still need to replace me, to replace uh, some of people who also left. 
basically the unit I have been leading is almost empty now because most of us have left uh, and we need, and our replacements, they need to find the good ones. Then they find the good one, they need to be able to empower them for, uh, they, it, take, it will take them time to understand the African Union setups, the diplomatic setups, and to get understanding everything that is happening. And that will take from a year to two years time and we don't have that time. So that's why we need to feed in as a GFCE and any other institutions to start pushing for things until you know the African Union really gets you know into their feet back again. I mean that that was one of the most striking things I saw about the OEWG and Jim, you remember this well. Although some of the countries that are involved in these negotiations were talking about norms and international law, there really was a groundswell not just from African countries but from a lot of other countries in Asia and in Latin America and others about the need for more capacity building. I mean that you know these. These debates about rules and everything, it's great to have more people involved, but they they were saying basically we need help now. You know, we need more assistance now. So so how do we, you know, now in your your new role in the uh, global forum on cyber expertise, but also just someone who's been dealing with capacity building while you were at the AU for almost the entire time and you were sort of uh, working with the GFC, even before the GFC, you were working on these issues. What's the best way to take this forward in Africa? How How can we... How can we make a dent in this need that's going to be actually helping these countries, uh, but at the same time getting resources devoted to this? There is two, two, two levels here we have to separate. One is if we want uh, those people who are participating on the international dialogues, for instance, in the UN systems, on the international debates and discussions, the best way to go through this is, is a top-down approach specifically advocating within the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Those are the ones who are really mandated even sometimes to enter to the premises of the United Nations or any other premises. Without them, you cannot do anything. And these are the ones who are actually really talking about matters related to foreign affairs. Mm-hmm. And matter of cybersecurity involves sometimes foreign affairs issues, specifically when it is come to the coordination and so on. So the Ministry of Foreign Affairs need to be now targeted because people were targeting at this point of time for capacity building, were targeting the technical people, the Ministry of ICTs, people in certain cert, uh, people in the institution related to security and so on. Uh, but we forgot that you know the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the parliamentarians are the people who really will make the difference in terms of driving the policies. That is something we need to target from now on. And it is not an easy task because those people are very kind of, how can I say, in the, not in the conservative side. They are not as agile and flexible as institutions will be. So yes, we need, we need really to, um, to see what would be the best approach to do that. You've been in the business a long time. And so we're seeing a, particularly after the SDGs appeared, the Secretary General's engaged. Uh, you see a lot of activity now on internet governance. And what are your expectations for the future when you think of IGF plus or uh, what what do you think is going to happen? And this is, a, it's a, it's now, maybe you don't agree, you tell me, it's more of a global conversation than it was, say, 10 years ago. You know, 10 years ago, it was very north, uh, and I don't think that's true anymore. So what, when we look at the 
progress in internet governance. What are your expectations for the next four or five years? My expectation is to just to avoid the dislocation of the internet itself. That that is one of the things that my primary. If I see the unicity of the internet being you know kept as uh, as one network or a combination of the network unified and interoperable among them, that would be good. Uh, by the way, one of the things is to develop ICT is uh, not to apprehend it just as an ICT, but you have to take into consideration the whole energy sector part of it, mm-hmm. which is something I'm pleading for and to. Because without energy, for instance, uh, and Africa has a lot of renewable energy, which is actually green, mm-hmm. nice. That's another debate. We'll one day uh, address that issue in terms of how to make really the ICT developed in the, within the, the continent. Now, I was saying, if we achieve to keep the, you know, the unicity of internet without you know, really making it you know, just uh, dislocated, and that is one thing. My expectation, and again, as I was telling you at the beginning, when I start creating the African Internet Governance, my objective was to bring more Africans to participate because I have seen, and still, by the way, the same people coming, the same people benefiting from the scholarship, the same people benefiting from the information of the meeting, the same people participating. And those people are saturated. My expectation is to see more participations, right? More open discussion. Also to see that the UN will take really into consideration to factor the recommendation coming from the IGF. At this point of time, IGF is considered as, you know, just a platform to generate ideas, but those ideas are not channeled into, you know, a decision system. You you, you see what I mean? Yeah. Those discussions must to go back and to really feed the negotiations or feed the decisions or the policy to be prepared. Now, the Secretary General started the digital cooperation, you know, report, mm-hmm. and then he wanted to appoint, he already appointed and then withdraw, you know, somebody to be his delegate for uh, the digital kind of envoyé. It is now uh, put on hold, but I think if the current Secretary General is re-elected and mm-hmm. if he continue the momentum and with all of us, you know, getting the right people, we will be able probably to help keeping the unicity of that internet and having, you know, a global dialogue around safety and security and a lot of them. And really making the uh, the IGF plus something that is really having an, a node or a nexus that will bring all the decisions, all the discussion together, take out a specific recommendation that the Secretary General needs to take into consideration for the future development. When you started with the IGF, the African IGF, it really was about internet governance. Now it's about everything, right? Including your security. Indeed, indeed, indeed. And I'm proud that, you know, I am training. Uh, I cr- we created the African School of Internet Governance and we are training people. We have now a very big alumni that is over 300 people, you know, alumni of that. So at least we have young people who are not just looking at ICT as an ICT uh, or as an IT people, because there is two ways to look at ICTs. You look at it as an IT person. You don't really care about, you know, what is surrounding, what you do is the performance of the computer, the solutions and the communication. But if you are an ICT person, you think of it as, you know, of a, an ecosystem. And I'm really glad that, you know, we are now building more and more kind of, you know, ecosystem ICT people uh, in the African continent. Yeah, that's been a point that's come up. I don't know if this is a topic that both of you, I'm sure, have views on, but 
a few years ago in one of the GGEs, what we heard was it's not just capacity building, or maybe this was the OAS, but one some group. <laughs> it's not just capacity building, technical capacity building. It's yes. policy capacity building, you yes. know, the ability to make policy and to put this in a political context in some ways. Yes. That's why I say go to the Minister of Foreign Affairs. You don't go to the uh, Minister of ICT only. When you yeah. go to the technical people, go to the Minister of ICT. You wanted to do, I'm saying, go to the Office of Prime Minister, the Office of the President, the Parliamentarian, those people who are really influenced, capable of transforming the ICT speech into something that is really politically digestible. That's one of the challenges that, you know, you remember the, the cyber conferences that, you know, the Dutch had, or they started in London, the London process. I think the biggest advantage of that was bringing non-ICT ministers. ICT ministers are lovely, but getting the foreign affairs ministers, the ministers of interior, you know, sometimes the leaders, you know, and there's nothing really that replaces that right now. So, so getting that level of, of involvement, I think, is, is really important. And, you know, as you know, one of the things that the GFC tries to do is do that policy training on, on you know, diplomats with others, you know, but also as incident response in other uh, areas. Look, this has been a, a great conversation. Jim, I don't know if you had any last question. I wanted just to ask Mokhtar if he had anything that uh, he wanted to add from his perspective uh, that we hadn't hit on. I think we, we it was a great discussion. It's, it never ends. We could, we could you know, just yeah. go in and go in and say... Too true. But I, think I, I would just hope that we'll be having, you know, more opportunity to speak about it. One of the things that is very important is to understand that we need people who do and who are in the frontier between the technical and non-technical. Yeah. That generation of people for the African continents doesn't exist. We need to get out from the back, back room, you see I say, the computer room, go to the boardroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to bring that, you know, we need to move from that one, from the back office to, if I can, the boardroom. Not even, I'm not even saying the front office, I'm just saying back office right to the boardroom. And we need for that a people who do understand the two. It's very rare, I can tell you something, very rare in my 15 years to find people who are, who can do the combination. Those are the people who will be the backbone of the entire capacity building that we will be building. People who do understand things. And yet we need to leverage the issue of what is happening now in the WTO First woman, first Africans, the African Union free trade area coming, e-commerce. And from there, when you put that trade issue in the heart of the ICT, you will be able really to generate and create interest around the by and for the uh, policymakers. And from there, we'll move forward to really very consistent kind of negotiation. So that would be my concluding remark on this one. And again, it was always a pleasure discussing with you and uh, hearing from you, uh, specifically getting your teasing questions. <laughs> Mokhtar, a very valuable conversation. You're right. We could go for another hour. Yes, uh, indeed. We'll have to do this again. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Cybersecurity Agency of Singapore and the Estonian Ministry of Foreign Affairs.